Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. I'm delighted to have my guest for this podcast, um, Jerry Egan, a, a very experienced company secretary, head of corporate services, and we're going to look at the whole area of board meetings. So, Jerry, before we dive into the board meetings, you might just give us a sort of the highlight of your, 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 your career to date in terms of the roles that you've had and the roles you're currently doing. Hi, Jeremy. Look, great to be here this morning. Um, so for the past six years, I've been working as a, as a consultant and trainer in the area of corporate governance and data protection. So I work with clients uh, to, on things like kind of board evaluations, on kind of governance reforms and reviews uh, and on, on board training. But prior to moving into consultancy, I was a company secretary for 14 years, working for a large day company, which many of you will know, Quilcia. And over that time, I think in, in the context of, of the relevance for this podcast, you know, I would have worked with uh, seven different chairs, okay, five different CEOs, right? And, and my work at the moment brings me to a lot of different board meetings and a lot of different organizations. So I think from all of that, you know, I've distilled a few essential things that, that I think are critical to the planning and, and, and delivery of any kind of board meeting and hoping to share those with you this morning. Excellent. And as I said, board meetings, and they are a critical component in the whole good governance of an organisation. And you, Jerry and you, may, we're, we're of an age, we remember that old road safety ad campaign on the radios about um, and on TV, and it has this catchphrase saying, accidents don't happen, they are caused. And likewise, good board meetings, they just don't happen. They have to be caused. And so, as I said, in this podcast, we want to dive into exploring what sort of things can you do to make a board meeting a good board meeting. So let's start with the planning and preparation stage. What makes for good planning for our, and preparation for a board meeting? So I think the planning piece is essential, which is maybe stating the obvious. But also I think it's important to think about the planning of the board meeting and the planning of the board work not in isolation of thinking about individual meetings. Okay, In my experience, where the work of the board works best is where the work is planned, say, beginning with an annual work plan for the board. So rather than kind of thinking about what are we doing at the next meeting, we have a view of what the year might look like for the board. And by that I mean... So depending, for example, on where the organisation might be in the context of its strategy, if it's in the middle of the cycle or at the start of the cycle, you, know, you might make provisions, say, at the mid-year, for example, to review performance against the strategy. Um, you might decide that four times a year when the quarterly accounts are available, you know, to dive into or to take a deeper dive into the, the financial performance of the organisation. And then you might also make kind of provision, for example, for showcasing particular activities or highlighting the work of individual departments maybe within the organisation. And the point, I suppose, is that if you have a view of what the year might look like, when the major compliance events might happen, like the approval of the annual report and the accounts, that means then that the board has a kind of a sense of purpose about what its year might look like, 
but also then from the management's point of view, they have a very good sense of when individual deliverables and so on need to be made available to the board, you know, and 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 then the the work of of the management team and the work of individual departments then can be kind of coordinated around that. And of course, then that board work plan needs to be aligned to the strategy because ultimately it's the board's responsibility to ensure that the strategy is executed. Because as I say, you know, so often governance is not about compliance. Governance is about performance. So how do we put the conditions in place for the organization to perform? So the the annual work plan you know, as a precursor, if you like, to the planning of the individual meetings is something that I see is 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 a bit hit and miss in organizations. OK, and those organizations that do the annual planning well, uh, I feel, have more effective individual meetings than as a result. It does give cues to a lot of people about what what things need to happen, what needs to be got ready in advance. So it does provide that focus also to the executive in terms of planning their activities. And another one, a recent one, because we just had it on our own board in terms of planning out for 2023, is the added one of there's a mix between online meetings and in-person ones. And um, so that looking at when we're having in-person ones is probably to have it around some of those meatier sort of topics that may take a bit longer um, so that it's, it's an in-depth meeting rather than the, the normal two-hour two meeting. There are a number of actors, a number of people involved in, as you say, the, the, the board meeting itself is a culmination of a lot of other actions and events. There are different roles involved in... in getting to the board meeting and conducting the board meeting. What would be the key roles in, in that whole production? So I think the three key roles, really, and there are other roles, but I think the kind of the three key roles are, are the chair, um, the CEO or general manager or whatever that, that person who's leading the executive team is called, and the company secretary. Now, in a charity situation, the, the company secretary role may be performed by the CEO or another member of the management team, even though somebody on the board perhaps may have the title company secretary, right? But I'm really thinking, I suppose, about the person who does the company secretarial function rather than the person who has the job title. And then the other people who potentially have a role to play then would be the chairs of individual committees, okay? Insofar as, um, you know, the chair of the audit committee perhaps or the chair of... uh, um, you know, there might be a kind of a strategy committee in the organisation uh, who will who will come to the board from time to time to report on, on the work there. So just to explore that in a little bit more detail then, look, obviously it's critical to the leadership of the organisation that the chair and the CEO are aligned, okay? Um, you know, that they're aligned at the start of the year about the overall work plan for the board and how that's aligned with the, the strategy, and then on a meeting-by-meeting basis, then, how each individual meeting supports the delivery of the board's work plan and, by extension, the delivery of the strategy. So I think those two people together, and then clearly the, the person doing the company secretary work is then the facilitator who makes that happen in relation to you know crafting the agenda, um, uh, pulling the papers and so on together, um, you know uh, lining up the, the different people in the organisation who may be producing individual items for consideration at the board, and making sure that all of that happens in a timely fashion. Quite quite a no, important roles there, and we, we might touch some of those individually later on. But 
this phrase we're we're very familiar about garbage in garbage garbage out and in terms of the board papers are sometimes referred to as the board pack what needs to be done to make sure that they are focused relevant and appropriate to enable the board perform its its governance responsibilities and in terms of the meeting is a culmination of a lot of stuff that has been happening and the board meeting is where decisions are taken advice is given, direction is given to, to the executive. So in terms of the board pack or the board papers, what sort of things need to be considered there? So I, I think in relation to the, the board pack, you know, typically for a board meeting, you may have a number of items that are for decision by the board. Okay, And these might be very significant items like the approval of the strategy, or there may be more routine items like the awarding of a grant to a, a member or whatever it might be. And then we will also have some items potentially for the board's information. So the first thing I think to be really clear about when we're bringing an individual paper or a number of papers in a pack to the board is to ask ourselves the question, what's this paper for? Okay. And I deliberately say for and not about, okay, because we can have papers that are about things. But what I'm driving at really is, is why is this being presented? What is the outcome that is expected? Uh, and all of that. So I think, I think when we're clear in our heads in the first instance, you know, that, that the purpose of this paper is, to, is for the approval of the strategy or it's uh, to inform the board about an important development in the sector with a view to making a decision in a couple of months time because we want the board to be informed and, and, and you know not rushed into making a decision. So, so that's the first thing is to be clear about that purpose. The second issue, the second was component then for me is, is to have a succinct kind of cover page on the document. Okay, so that if I'm a director and I receive the board pack and I get to item three, that there's a summary page which says, you know, what's the topic of this paper? Who's presenting it? What outcome is expected? In, in other words, is it for decision? Is it simply for information? Or perhaps is it for consideration with a view to making a decision in the future? And then a summary of, you know, be it three or four bullet points about the essence of what the paper is about. And what that means then is that when I turn the page to read the paper itself, I, I know what's expected of me. In my experience, the worst board papers are those that are overly long. And then you get to page seven and you realize, oh, I'm actually expected to make a decision about this. Now I need to go back to the start because I will read it differently if I know a decision is required as opposed to me just thinking about this is something I need to acquaint myself with. And I think the other part of that then as well is that, you know, somebody kind of from the executive who's actually drafting a paper for the board is to think about the audience okay so you know you may have been working on something for six months or longer and it's very tempting uh, you know to think about it in the context of an examination it's very tempting to show your workings I want everybody to understand how much work I put into this okay the board doesn't need to know all of that. Okay, what the board needs to understand is what insights have you gleaned from that? What conclusions have you arrived at? What recommendations are you making? What risks have you assessed? You know, the, if that's presented well, the board will work on the basis that all the homework has been done in the background and, and tempting as it might be to, to share all of that. Okay, you're not actually doing the board a service. By, by going into the weeds of, of all of the work that you and your team did. Very important point that you've been making about 
understanding the needs of the audience and and the purpose of the content, the papers that are in the pack, because compliance with the governance code, which is which is, is a requirement for all, all charities now, has led to an increase in the page count in the, in the size of the board pack. And I think part of that, and some of the stuff the board don't, it, it's operational in it, its content, but it's something that the board needs sight of and be aware of. So the role of the board subcommittees can play a very important as a sort of a clearinghouse. Well, could you talk a bit about how they can help that process in terms of when things come to the board for consideration or for decision, the role in advance of that that the subcommittees can play? Yeah, so, I, you know, sometimes the... Um the role of kind of board committees, you know, is, is described as kind of doing the heavy lifting before something comes to the board, right? So, you know, if, for example, um, the, the board decides to uh, adopt a new risk management framework or the board decides to adopt a new, um, has decided to review the safety statement, for example, okay? Like the board or the, the subcommittee, rather, can do a really important job in in you know reviewing those documents when they've been drafted and kind of in testing them in kind of challenging management to make sure that all of the relevant things have been taken into account okay and essentially kind of acting then as a filter to ensure that that the essential information is what is presented to the board because you know if you have say four board committees just for instance and if everything that can be handled by those committees where was actually to come to the board instead, you would end up potentially with an unmanageable agenda at every board meeting. Okay, so I think the role of the committee, as I would kind of see it, is is in the first instance is is perhaps to interpret the board's requirements and ensure that management kind of understand that. And then when the work has been done by the management team, then it's almost like flowing through the pipe in the opposite direction. You know, the work then kind of comes back to the committee who can say, yes, this is in accordance with what was required. And now we're happy for this or a summary version of this, perhaps, you know, to go to the board. Subcommittees sometimes may need to say to the executive, this isn't ready to go to the board. Are there there are questions that the board will need to answer to or will need information on before we can make a decision or consider it. So it can happen that it's like a clearinghouse before it goes to the board that you have that sort of... thinking of the audience because as you said there is that temptation and i i feel guilty is to show my show my work how good we have how much work we put into this which loses the point about what the role of the board is is not to sort of go through all the detail the committees can do that and in in, in appropriate but what comes to the board is is actionable and i think jeremy to that point as well you know if you have um if you've been the point about working on something for a while and the temptation to show the workings and all of that you know, if you can take that work and you can kind of distill that down to a really good four or five pages, which is, makes it crystal clear what work has been done, what options have been assessed, what budget might be required to execute this. Like, trust me when I tell you, the board will thank you for that, okay? Because, you know, the fact that you have able to write it in that fashion means that you understand it i think it was einstein who kind of said well if you can't explain it you don't you don't know know it well enough okay and that really is i suppose is the trick because if anything having that kind of crisp paper will give the board confidence that management is on its game as opposed to sometimes i kind of feel that the um 
when too much stuff is presented to a board, the board in the back of their mind is thinking, this is still work in progress. These guys are still working their way through this. And to your point, it's, it's not ready. And I think also then on the point of, of not being ready, um, I did make the point, the very first point I made was about the importance of the board work plan. Okay, And it is really important, but it's also important that we're not a slave to that. You know, just because the plan says we're going to present this in October, if it's not ready, it's not ready. And far better for it to be done properly in December, because any of these significant decisions that the board is going to be asked to make, the organization is probably going to be living with the ramifications of that for quite a long time. So better for it to be really good in December rather than half-baked in October. A recent experience I had with my own board and committee was I was bringing proposals on staff changes and, and new posts to the board. And I went through the, 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 the strategy committee and one of the committee members said, look, Dermot, I, I'm trying to grapple with what, where, what, where are you coming from and what you want. Can you put three organisations charts together? One is what the current structure looks like like now, what the immediate one is, but also, very important, what's your vision for three, four years? Where, where, what, what's the direction of travel? And I said, oh, God, more work, you know. But, but sitting down, it was absolutely brilliant for just because it helped to put stuff in, in my head and the vision I had in my head down. And now we have a discussion, now we have a debate. And it is clearer for the, the committee members, but also for the board, and to see and then to interrogate that and to see does that fit in with the strategy and the, the sustainability and all of those things. So it was a clearer, we could write a 20 page paper, but those three organisation charts got to the essence. Um, but it also, as you said, it was hard to do, but, but in terms of, but it was distilled where we are and why we want to move to that particular one. So it is that role of the committee preparing the board, to be enabling the board to be able to make a decision, but also enabling the executive in, in, in putting their, 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 their papers together. Go to the actual meetings themselves, and some of the criticisms I'd hear from some board members is that it's the same old, same old. There is a tendency that it's all the operational stuff. How do you manage that thing between the sort of the routine reporting items that has to be done the sort of the, the, the must have the, the housekeeping in, in some things even though they're very very important we're also giving sufficient time to more substantive issues like the, the strategy like you, you mentioned the, the the annual report which is a critical part in that cycle where sometimes it just gets the nod the auditors have done the work the executive done the work and it's not through the, but this is a statement by the trustees this is what you know, it's a statement by the organisation. This is us. This is what we're doing. But sometimes it doesn't get that time that it it it, 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 it deserves. What would yeah. be your advice there? Yeah. So, so I might just touch on that annual report issue for a moment, actually, uh, because I, I think I, I think your point is is really well made. Like in my experience, working with with lots of clients, and very often. Uh, what will actually happen is that the annual report, you know, may even have the name of the auditors on the front of it because the auditors part of the service that they will provide is is formatting the report and whatever else. But, but you know, organizations often forget that the first page in the report says report of the directors. OK, and it is, you know, it is the directors reporting to their members or to their stakeholders on the performance, that word again, of the organization over the preceding period. Right. Um, so like it is critical that that as a topic does get kind of due attention. And I think you're right in so far as very often you will have a situation where the board might say, well, we have a clean audit opinion, so this must be OK. 
right? And the audit committee have looked at it, so that's given us assurance, and now we're happy just to nod this through, okay? But I would often kind of say to directors that, like, once you join a board, your reputation, your personal reputation, and the reputation of the organization are kind of bound up together. So, you know, we really need to take time to ensure that the report is a, a true reflection, you know, in every sense of, of what had been done. But coming back to the substantial point about the um, giving time and so on to things, I would say that many boards shy away from, from strategy because strategy is hard. You know, it requires, it requires kind of application and it requires thought. It requires kind of scanning the horizon to see where the risk might be in one of the future. And, and sometimes what actually happens is that boards... I feel, and it's just a personal thing, but boards can sometimes almost delude themselves into thinking they're being really diligent and really hardworking because they're reviewing the CEO's report and they're reviewing the management accounts and they're doing all of this. But it's important to remember that when you're considering those operational matters, they're all things that have happened in the past. You know, and there's nothing you can do about the, the first quarter's performance or the half year performance. Okay. So I think ways in which it can be kind of kept fresh are like I think it is important to to make time for for the strategy piece and not just kind of routine reviewing of the objectives and the KPIs and so on. But actually, like over the past couple of years, we've seen the, the, you know, the devastating impact of, of, of COVID on, on society and on individual organizations. So we need to be flexible enough to be able to, to adapt to that. And from time to time, that will mean coming back and revisiting the strategy, you know, outside of the normal kind of review cycle, if you like. Another thing that I find, and I sometimes I, I think then that, you know, even kind of stepping away from the normal room or the normal setting to have those more reflective conversations, um, you know, maybe using an external facilitator, perhaps just to so there are different voices in the room and different challenges potentially being posed, I think, as a way of, of freshening up those types of discussions. I think that there's also an opportunity, you know, particularly in, in the not-for-profit sector where all directors are voluntary, okay, and have limited time to give. Um, there's maybe an opportunity then, not at every meeting, but at occasional meetings, perhaps to showcase the work of individual um, sections or departments, say, within the organization, okay? And, and that, for me, has kind of three advantages, I suppose. First of all, it is... It, it informs the directors about in a bit more detail about what's going on and they're hearing it from somebody other than the CEO, which I think is important. The second piece is that clearly it informs the strategy because they're now better equipped to contribute to a kind of a strategy discussion. And then I think the third part is the significant motivational benefit for staff to have an opportunity to talk about their work kind of in, in a board setting. Okay, so I think... Um, to summarize then, you know, making space for other people to come to the board and contribute, um, maybe having the meeting in a slightly different format and maybe having an external facilitator from time to time, particularly looking at things like, say, strategy or risk or whatever, where we can we can all become a bit constrained by our own boundaries and having somebody sort of says, well, why didn't you have the risk of a global pandemic on your risk register? You know, which none of us had, of course, right? So um, I, I think there are a few kind of 
almost cheats like that that we can kind of introduce into it so that it's not the same people sitting in the same seats having the same conversation every two months which you know can is a risk that can happen have you any tips for sort of creating a good meeting agenda you know what from your experience what sort of things you you've experimented and see that worked that has had helped in terms of just getting the tone right for 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 a meeting for me the, the single most important thing is is making that kind of clear distinction between um, items requiring decision and items that are being presented for information. Um, the Sometimes there can be a temptation to say, well, there's, there's a really significant topic that we, we need to talk about. And what we'll actually do is we'll get all of the routine stuff out of the way first, and then we'll, we'll make time for that. And if the board is meeting at five or six o'clock in the evening, which is often the case with voluntary boards, you don't want to have a situation where, you know, at half seven when everybody is tired and everybody's done a full day's work beforehand, we're now going to tackle the the issue of of uh, reviewing our strategy or or evaluating a kind of a five million euro investment or whatever it might actually be. So I think. Uh, bring in the decision items to the top of the agenda, bring in the most the, the, the item that's likely to require the most energy and, and maybe has the most significant ramifications. Um, and then what that means, I suppose, is that, that if the meeting runs out of time or whatever it might be, then let it be some of the routine stuff that falls off the end of the agenda rather than something really, really significant. We've talked earlier about the important role that the company secretary and the, and the company secretarial function plays. I'd like to talk about the role of the, the board chair and what can the board chair do in helping making the conditions right for an effective meeting? So earlier on, we talked a little bit about the role of the chair in kind of in setting the agenda. So that's, that's um, it's, it's clear going into the meeting that, you know, the chair has a, has a picture in his or her head about what the outcome is one now that's not to predetermine the outcome but where we're leading kind of towards um the other you know the, the, there's a few basic things i suppose the chair is responsible for like kind of keeping you know keeping the agenda to time right so that we don't as per the last topic we don't kind of run out of time is particularly to discuss important matters and then i think the the you know the the most important um uh, role that the chair plays then is the way in which kind of he or she leads the discussion okay um, and by that I mean really is ensuring that that everybody has an opportunity to contribute that everybody does actually contribute and I, I don't mean to drag people kicking and screaming but certainly if you have somebody on the board who's maybe a bit reserved or introverted or and, and maybe has some very important things to say you know, it's important to create the conditions in which he or she feels comfortable about doing that. My own kind of, I suppose, personal preference would be, and it's something that comes up actually in board evaluations that I do, is for the chair perhaps to hold fire on their own opinion until the topic has been aired a bit, okay? You know, a a consistent feedback that I get from other directors is it's a bit off-putting if the chair says, well, Okay, today we're going to talk about the approval of the strategy. And let me tell you what I kind of think about this first. Okay, and then because of that, that, you know, slightly elevated status that the chair has on the board, then people sometimes will feel actually I can't really go against the chair. I I really I don't agree with that particular point. 
Whereas I think if the chair kind of says, okay, look, I have my own views on this, but before I share those views, I'd be interested to hear what everybody else has. I think that then gives people a greater freedom to express, you know, their point of view and so on, right? And then equally, I think that as people do express their views, you know, diverse views are great. It's really important that we get those. But I think then if there's a situation whereby, you know, the chair needs to moderate the discussion as well so that, you know, if you have a view on a topic and I have a different view, you know, the chair's job is to tease those, is to make sure those views get teased out and not allow, you know, director A to shut down director B because, you know, there's always a risk in the same way that there are introverted people on the board. Um, you know, there will be, uh, there may be kind of some domineering people on the board. Uh, there may be people who have an opinion on everything, regardless of how well informed they might actually be. And it's, it takes skill on the chair's part to ensure that, particularly if he knows or she knows that there's somebody with deep expertise or interest in a particular topic and that person is not contributing. So, so why aren't they contributing? Is it something else that's going on that's preventing that? And just to be able to sort of say, Dermot, I know you're an expert in relation to such and such. I'd be, I think the board would really benefit from hearing your thoughts on this particular aspect. So I think, in essence, that's what it's, it's trying to, to be the facilitator um, to make sure that what emerges collectively from the board's consideration of a topic is better than that when the conversation is over, the strategy or the risk framework, whatever, is, is better as a result of the contributions. Group dynamics also has an important part to play in the effectiveness of the meeting. So what sort of things can be done to help the dynamics of board meetings? One of the the, the big challenges for me around kind of COVID, okay, um, and that period when we were all working from home and we were meeting online and so on, was that the normal kind of social niceties around board meetings and so on kind of couldn't be observed. So consequently, you had lots of, of board meetings happening where new directors joined boards and people simply didn't know each other. And just people just knowing each other a little bit, that opportunity to have a cup of coffee before the meeting or maybe if the meeting is during the daytime to have a sandwich lunch afterwards is is really, really important, okay? Because... You know, if you know, for example, that that somebody has a deep personal interest in the topic or has some is kind of scarred by some previous experience in their own career or something like that, it gives you a great insight into, well, why is somebody being particularly passionate about this or particularly strong about this? Um, so I have a, an example from my own career where where on a particular board that I was involved with, there was a there was a, a particular director who used to drive people mad by interrogating the management accounts to the nth degree, okay? And the chair would be constantly saying, that's operational, that's management's job, that's whatever it might be. But after this person was on the board for a couple of months, it emerged that in a previous organisation that he had worked in, a significant fraud had been committed. And that had big implications for the finance team of the organisation of which he was a part at the time, and it was obvious that he carried that with him wherever he kind of went, right? But the fact that people, when that emerged, the fact that people knew the background, there was a there was a there was a level of empathy then as to why, you know, and and he then was able to sort of always he moderated his behaviour a bit as well, okay? But that was a classic example from somebody went from being a royal kind of pain in the backside, or that at least was the perception. 
but because they they there was a people got to know each other a bit better okay so i think that that's one thing is just making a bit of space for people to know each other as people rather than people who kind of turn up do a two-hour stint at a board meeting kind of go again and you don't really know who they are or what they've got going on in their lives and and all of that um that's one piece i think i think the other another piece that's you know i mentioned this whole idea of of like recognizing that there are different personality types um you know recognizing that there will always be somebody who's first in on every topic regardless of and and then the, the chair can actually adapt strategies for that as well. So, you know, knowing that Dermot is all, often the first to contribute, you know, he might actually kind of say, well, you know, what I'd like to do actually is I'm really interested to hear everybody's views here. So we're going to start with Mary here and we'll kind of go around. So there are, you know, tactics that we can employ as well just to if you can can predict you know what's likely to happen. And then but then you will have other situations where, you know, sometimes you just might have two people who don't get along, you know, and, and it happens. And um, one thing I see a bit as well is that, uh, you know, you might have somebody who was there perhaps at the foundation of a charity. OK, and now maybe it's time for them to have moved on a bit. There are new directors have joined. Um, but this person, for reasons that are perfectly understandable, wants to kind of stay there and has a view about the way things should be and doesn't necessarily recognize that the world has moved on. OK, um, and, but again, I think, you know, that might be a case of the chair taking somebody aside just to have a chat. It doesn't all have to be done. In, and in fact, it shouldn't be done in the board meeting. OK, um, and, you know, it might involve kind of talking to the two people involved to try and understand, look, there seems to be a bit of friction here. You know, kind of what's going on. The other one I want to tease out in terms of the, the, the dynamic and the, the atmospherics of at the meeting and pre-meeting is that chair-CEO relationship. What role does that have in creating the proper dynamic but also the, the outcome of the meetings as a result of that relationship? What sort of thing would you say on, on that chair-CEO relationship? Well, I, I think the chair and CEO obviously need to be aligned. Okay, They need to be aligned, say, in relation to the strategy and they need to be aligned on the planning say, for individual meetings and so on. But being aligned doesn't mean agreeing all the time. Like, it is important that there's a little bit of tension in that relationship. You know, like the CEO is accountable to the board. So they, the, the relationship between the board and, and, by extension, the chair and the CEO is, should be one of support and challenge. Sometimes what I find in the not-for-profit sector where people tend to be quite nice and cooperative and collaborative and particularly where boards are volunteers, there might be a reluctance sometimes maybe to, to challenge the CEO a little bit and you get a sort of, oh, aren't we very lucky to have him or her, aren't they great? You know, and, and um, you know, there's a risk in that situation that the the CEO might kind of overreach or might um, get get too comfortable, right? So it, it, that's a really fine line between the support and kind of challenge piece. Um, like I think, you know, you gave the example yourself a moment ago where you talked about uh, something not being ready for the board or whatever it might be. Okay, and I think I think it's actually helpful if the CEO doesn't get their own way all the time. 
you know, and is told, actually, you know, that's not ready to come to the board. You need to go away and kind of fix this because the risk is otherwise that, that you know, complacency sets in and it becomes a case of a luxury it'll do rather than, no, we aspire to, you know, the, the high standards or the highest possible standard, however we choose to define, you know, what high performance looks like. Okay, So I think that sort of... of um, maintaining that kind of you know creative tension right um, between the the chair and the CEO, uh, I, I think is actually is a very is a very positive um, a feature of a of a, a high performing board. Thank you so much, Jerry. I think we've covered a lot of ground in, in a relatively short space of time, and we could be talking on this for for many many more hours. But I think really we I think we've covered a number of things that will help good meetings to be caused in in future and effective meetings so thank you so much that has been fantastic my pleasure thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts so until the next time Slán Gofól Gofól